see if you can complete this prayer with me. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord, if I should die before I wake, what? I pray the Lord my soul to take. How many of you learned that prayer when you were really, really young? Absolutely. Now, some of you didn't. Some of you just were left out as children. I'm sorry. But, uh, but I remember, I, I, I distinctly remember that prayer as a, as a child. I remember that was sort of the way that I guess initially my parents taught me, just to, just to say those, those words to the Lord, and, and many of you obviously the same way. You know, after you learn that kind of prayer, you move forward and you begin to pray other prayers. And I'm, I'm sure that some of you remember maybe as a young person, a teenager, maybe that's where you are right now, praying different kinds of prayers, maybe to, to hang on to a boyfriend or girlfriend, Lord, Please don't let them go. God, my life is over if they leave. And You know, we laugh now, but it was serious back then, wasn't it? Boy, serious. And uh, big deal. And I don't make light of that for, for those who are in it. Man, what a big deal. And we pray those prayers, you know. And, or or maybe, maybe you, you then progressed in your prayer life. And Lord, if you get me out of this, then I promise I'll be in church every Sunday. And God, I'm, I'll, I'll go all the way to Africa if you, if you just get me out of this. Lord, if you just come, or God, I'll, if you do this, Lord, I will never again do what got me into this situation. Never again. You, you've been there, you prayed those prayers before. Maybe, maybe you prayed them this morning. I don't know. But, but, but isn't it funny how our prayer lives progress? And I wonder, how has your prayer life developed since those days? Maybe that's where you are right now. Uh, and you find yourself praying those kinds of prayers. Or maybe, maybe you look back and you say, you know, since I learned initially to pray, just to pray in general, my prayer life has changed. And it's become different. And the topics and the substance of my prayers have changed. And maybe, maybe this morning you can trace back some of the growth in your prayer life. And, and, and maybe this morning if I were to ask you, how do you, how do you feel about your prayer life? How, how is it, if you were to evaluate it, if you were just to kind of take a, an objective look, you say, well, my prayer life is kind of non-existent, or my prayer life seems dry, or I feel like my prayers hit the ceiling and come right back down to me. I, I feel like they're not going anywhere. I, or maybe you say, you know, I, I really believe that where I am now, I feel like that my prayer life is full, and I feel like that, that the Lord is growing me through my prayer life, and I feel as if I'm connecting with the Lord. If I were to ask you what images come to your mind when I mention the word prayer, what, what, do, you, what do you have in mind? Do you, do you picture people with their, their heads bowed and their eyes closed? And if, you're, if you're a man, now this is kind of funny. Guys, I'm going to pick on us just for a second. I'm going to sit over here to do it. And then I'll move over there so you can see me. <clears throat> if you're a man, particularly in church, you assume the man prayer position when, when I say let's bow our heads and all the men go this way. And I don't know what the ladies do because I never really paid attention, but, but all the guys, we, we assume that, that prayer position and we, we lean forward. You ever tried not to lean forward? It's hard. It's hard. It's a habit. Man, that man prayer position. But, but what comes to your mind when you, when you hear the word prayer? Do you, do you, do you picture uh, prayer as something that is maybe kind of useless? Maybe, maybe you just do it because you're supposed to or... What is prayer to you? I find it interesting and sometimes funny uh, to, to listen to prayers uh, that people pray. And certainly, um, 
we all, you could say this about my prayers as well, but, but I, I was recently with a group of people uh, in, a, in a school program that I'm in, and it was so funny, and I, I, won't, I won't, the guy will never listen to this sermon, so I guess I can pick on him and it'll be okay. Um, but it was interesting, he took on a different voice when he prayed. This guy's a pastor, and he had a totally different voice. Dear God. You know, I was, I thought God had entered the room. I thought, man, where, where is he? You know, I just, wow. And it was, I mean, it hit just a whole prayer. And I, I'm literally, I was, I was trying to hold back my laughter. I'm thinking, who is that that's talking? Where did, you know, we got a new person in the room now. Maybe you've seen that before. And it's just kind of funny to me. And, or, or you, you, and I'm sure we're all tempted with that, but or maybe you, you hear the prayers of, of, of people who use different words that they would never use in casual conversation. It just, just odd phrases that they would throw in, you know. And, and uh, you know, think about it. What if you talk to other people the way you talk to God? You know, I mean, just, it would, they would look at you kind of like, what? What are you saying to me? You know, why are you using that kind of, those kind of words? But, you know, for others, prayer may seem to be a little bit awkward. Uh, maybe you feel sometimes as if you're talking to a stranger when you pray. Um, maybe you feel as if you don't really know what to say. I, you know, I'd love to pray, but I have no idea what I'm supposed to, to say to God. Uh, Martin Luther, uh, the great reformer, put it this way. He said, we should pray as naturally as a cobbler makes shoes and as naturally as a tailor makes a coat. We should pray as naturally as a cobbler makes shoes and as a tailor makes a coat. You think about just what comes naturally in your life to do and and I really, I believe that. I agree with him that prayer should come as naturally to us as those things do to, to those people. But most of the time, that's not the case. Uh, there's a, a great British pastor, he's, he's dead now, but his name was Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he said this, of all the activities in which the Christian engages and which are part of the Christian life, there is surely none which causes so much perplexity and raises so many problems as the activity which we call prayer. Maybe you've felt that way. I think that's very true. There, there's no part of the Christian life which causes so much perplexity, raises so many problems as prayer. Many view prayer as an obligation, as a duty that they must do, and they check it off their list. Many view it as something foolish. <laughs> Why are you talking to no one? Some view it as something that's useless and pointless. But we know that Scripture obviously holds up prayer as being vitally important to those who are believers in Jesus Christ. It is vitally important. It is foundational for those who are believers in Jesus Christ. Prayer is simply the privilege that we have of conversing with the one true, holy, and living God. It is an absolute privilege it is not an obligation. It's not a duty. It is a privilege that we have to converse, to have a conversation with the one true living and holy God of the universe. I'm not talking about the person sitting next to you, though they may consider it to be a privilege for you to talk to them. But I'm talking about the privilege that we have to enter the presence of God and converse with Him, to talk with Him. Now, I could stop there with this sermon, and we could leave in absolute awe of the privilege that we have been given to talk with God. But I want to I show you this morning from an example that, that we see in Scripture um, 
what our priority should be in prayer. Um, if you got your Bible handy, I want you to turn with me first. And I'll warn you, we're going to flip around just a little bit this morning. So keep your fingers loose and ready to turn the pages in the Scripture. Look with me, first of all, in the book of Luke. Luke's over in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. It's one of the Gospels. Luke chapter 11. Love hearing the pages turn, by the way. Bring your Bible to church. We do our best to put the words of the Scripture on the screen, and I hope that helps. But I want you to have a copy of God's Word. If you don't have one, let me know, and we will gladly get you one and put a copy of God's Word in your hand. Luke chapter 11, verse 1, sort of forms the framework for this entire series that we'll be doing for the next couple of months on prayer. Look at it with me in verse 1 of chapter 11. He was praying, this is Jesus, in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. Mark that little phrase, Lord, teach us to pray. And that's really the goal of of this series that we're beginning this morning, to learn from the master of prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. So this week, we're going to look at the prayer life of Jesus. What what did he pray about? What what was his prayer life like? And then the next several weeks, we'll look at his, what most folks would consider his, the pinnacle of his teaching on prayer, what we now know as the Lord's Prayer. We're going to look at that over the next couple of weeks, and then we'll wrap up this series with a a parable that Jesus taught about prayer. And so by the end of October, I really believe that if we apply what we learn, our prayer lives will look very different than they do now. Even if you have a very full and rich prayer life, if yours is empty and dry and your prayers are hitting the ceiling, I really, really, really hope that you'll make a commitment to be here over the next several weeks and a couple of months. Because I believe if we'll apply what we learn, our prayer lives will look very different. That we'll... We, we, we'll be experiencing greater intimacy with the Lord, and we will have grown tremendously during that time, both individually and as a church. And so what I want to do as we begin this series is to pray. <laughs> I think it's appropriate in a series on prayer that we pray. So, fellows, assume the prayer position, and let's bow our heads for just a second. And I, I want to, to invite you to ask the Lord what the disciples asked him in Luke chapter 11, Lord, teach us to pray. So with your head bowed and your eyes closed, you may not be a praying person, but maybe in this moment you just offer a word to the Lord. God, teach me what you want to teach me. Lord, teach me to pray. God, open my heart to your word. Or maybe you'd pray as a prayer of commitment. Lord, I'll I'll be here. I'll learn what your scripture says about prayer. But invite the Lord to teach you to pray. Heavenly Father, that is our prayer individually and collectively, that you would teach us to pray. And we thank you for the great privilege that we are experiencing, even in this moment, to have a conversation with you. You have given us the avenue and the outlet of prayer. So God, teach us what it means. Convict us, Lord, where we have allowed our prayer lives to drift, where our thinking has gone wrong, where our hearts have drifted from you. Please bring us back to where we need to be. May we as a church and we as individuals be people of prayer 
And through that, Lord, may we be changed and may we see our community changed for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to show you this morning, moving quickly through four different episodes in the life of Jesus, about what his prayer life was all about. There's nowhere else that we can look that is a greater example of of, of who we should follow, obviously, than Jesus Christ. And so we're looking today at the priority of prayer. What priority should it have in our lives? What should take priority in our prayers? What, what should we pray about? Now, obviously, uh, many Americans give uh, prayer a, a distinct priority in their life. In fact, there was a survey that was done uh, of, of, of Christians and Jews and Muslims uh, on their prayer life. And American Christians, those who claim to be Christians, I have no idea what the depth of their spirituality is, but, but 70%, almost 70% of American Christians claim that they pray more than once each day. More than 70%, or almost 70% rather, claim they pray more than once each day. Another 28%, so almost the, the, full, the full lot of American Christians, say they pray at least once a day or a few times a week. So the overwhelming majority, in fact nearly all, American Christians say that they pray on at least a regular basis. Less than 1% of American Christians, or those who claim to be, say they don't pray at all. So I I would imagine that in here, we have uh, the overwhelming majority, if you claim to be a believer in Jesus Christ, that you pray on a a regular or at least semi-regular basis. Now, one of the things that I'd like to be able to do, and I believe that you were handed either in Sunday school or when you came in this morning, hopefully, you received a prayer survey. And that may seem kind of formal and stuffy, but I hope it's going to be very personal and applicable to us. If you did not receive one of those, I'd love for you to see me right after the service, and I'll be sure that you get your hands on one. Uh, What I want to do there is just get an idea of our prayer life and be able through this series to make it applicable and draw on some of our percentages. What do we pray about? How do those things need to be more aligned with God's will and so on? So if you don't mind to take the time at some point, if you've not already today, to complete that, some of you have done that online. I appreciate it. And you can just leave that there in your pew, or you can hand it to me after the service. It's, it's meant to remain totally anonymous. I'm, I'm not worried about who responds with what. So just leave it there in your pew. If you didn't get one, see me after the service. I'd be happy to get you one of those. I'd love for your participation. I really would appreciate it. Um, I really believe that if, as I look at those, I'll see that prayer is, is at least for, for a lot of us, a priority. Um, but... Even with all that prayer, if I were to ask you on a scale of 1 to 10, how effective do you feel your prayer life is? I would imagine we'd have answers all over the board. And surveys tend to show that many people feel very ineffective or frustrated in their prayer lives. We know it should be, in theory, a high priority, but, but in reality, maybe we don't practice it as much as we need to. Or maybe it doesn't produce the effects that we believe it should. And so this morning, as I said, we're, we're going to turn to the life of Jesus, learning from Him how to pray. In, in each of the episodes that we'll see, this truth comes very clearly. And write it down there on the back of your bulletin, somewhere on a note card, write it in your Bible, wherever you need to write it. This should at least be an alarm that goes off in your head. If prayer is not a priority for you, then this should be something that sort of wakes us up this morning, that prayer was a priority for Jesus. You say, well, I don't think I really need to pray much. Okay. Uh, If Jesus, God in human flesh, prayed, 
and placed a high priority on it, then it would stand to reason, pretty simply, that prayer must be also a priority for us. Prayer was a priority for, for Jesus. It was not something that was an add-on to his life. It was a, a priority. And so I want you to, you'll see there if you're using the back of your bulletin as a guide, there's not a whole lot to fill in the blank today. Some of you are good at trying to guess what I'm going to put there. Good luck on those last two. But somewhere in between, here's what I'd like for you to, to write down. As we look at these different episodes of prayer, I want you to, to note some of the things that, that stand out to you about the prayer life of Jesus, the things he prayed about, the times he prayed, the, the events that surrounded his time spent in prayer. Maybe you just make some notes there in your, on your bulletin or maybe in the margin of your Bible and you just write some things down, just some observations about the prayer life of Jesus. So I want you to look at this first episode with me, and I've selected four and could have done a whole lot more, but I figured you'd like to leave at some point today. So, so I've just selected four and try to narrow it down. Look with me in Mark chapter 1. I told you to keep your fingers ready, keep your Bible handy. Mark chapter 1. And look in verse 35 to begin with. Verses 35 to 39. Mark chapter 1, 35 to 39. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he, this is Jesus, got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place. And he was praying there. Simon and his companions went searching for him. They found him and said, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. So he went into all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. What do you notice there? I noticed it was early in the morning. I noticed it was still dark. I noticed that Jesus at that point got himself up and went somewhere to begin his day in prayer before the Lord. There's no timetable that's given here. It just says he was praying. That sort of leaves it sort of open-ended. There was no spending a certain number of minutes or hours in prayer in the morning for Jesus. We don't get that recorded. So this is not a legalistic kind of thing that I'm trying to drop on you this morning to say if you don't spend X amount of time in prayer each morning, you're not really a Christian. Because really, Christians, they spend at least 25 hours a day in prayer. You know, I think about it. But at the same time, I think we see some principles here that are very, very important. He just simply prayed till he was done praying. <laughs> He prayed until he was ready to begin his day, until the interruptions began to, to overwhelm him, obviously. And the day held for him some interesting things. Maybe you could relate. People needed him that day. The disciples came searching for him. He probably heard them off in the distance a little bit, calling for him. Hey, where are you? Jesus, we need you. Come on back from wherever you're hiding out this morning. People were going to need him that day. Maybe you've got a job or a family where people need you. You are going to be in high demand on a, on a daily basis. Maybe your job, you just deal with people over and over and over and over again. Or maybe in your school, you're around people all the time, and they always seem to be taking something from you, so to speak. And Jesus certainly could understand. People needed him. He was also going to handle a great amount of responsibility. He says, let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I've come. Here's my responsibility. 
Some of you are in jobs and families and so on where you are primarily responsible for what happens. All of us have high degrees of responsibility in various areas, and Jesus certainly understood that. He was also going to have to put out a lot of effort. He goes off to Galilee preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. This was not something you did lightheartedly. It required a lot of effort on his part. His day would also, in verse 40, we'll not read this, but his day would, encounter, would involve an encounter with a man with leprosy. Here's going to be a person that most folks would want to avoid, a difficult person to deal with. Now, a few weeks ago, we talked about ducking into the freezer aisle at Walmart. If you weren't here, then you, you missed that. You're going to have those people that are going to come your way that are going to be the people that you would rather avoid. Jesus had it all the time. He was going to deal with a lot of pressure that day and very little downtime. You've been there? It just doesn't seem to end. You have cycles of, of 24 hours where it just seems to be one thing after another and you get no downtime whatsoever. And I think it's because of those things that Jesus knew to start his day in prayer. He knew that he had to be ready and it wasn't just a matter of getting his day planner out and saying, okay, at 10 o'clock, man with leprosy. Think about it. It wasn't a matter of organization for him, though certainly those things are important. It was a matter of getting centered on what God wanted him to do and wanted him to be during that time. Flip over to the book of Luke, and we'll see this principle continue in Luke chapter 5, verse 12. Luke chapter 5, verse 12, and we'll read through 16. Again, here he's going to encounter a man with leprosy. While he was in one of the towns, verse 12, a man was there who had a serious skin disease all over him. He saw Jesus, fell face down, and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Reaching out his hand, he touched him, saying, I am willing, be made clean. And immediately the disease left him. Then, he'd ordered, then he ordered him to tell no one, but go show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses prescribed for your cleansing as a testimony to them. But the news about him spread even more. And large crowds would come together to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Wouldn't you love that kind of popularity? And before you read the next verse, some of you already did. Wouldn't you love that kind of popularity? Wouldn't you love it if people just came out in droves to hear what you had to say? And they sat and they listened. And they begged you to teach them and to be with them. Verse 16, yet, despite all that, he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. Isn't it amazing that Jesus was not out to win a popularity contest or run for office and all that kind of stuff that he could have very well done? But he was centered on his mission and he prayed repeatedly to come back to that. I wonder what his prayers early in the morning and at these times were about. As more is demanded of him, as his responsibility increases, as he's routinely interrupted, he goes away to pray. In spite of his growing popularity, he goes away and gets by himself. I imagine he prayed some centering prayers to make sure that he was, he was always in the will of God. To make sure that he always honored the Father above anything else. To make sure that he was refueled by the Holy Spirit for the task that lay ahead of him. That he was renewed by his Heavenly Father in all aspects of his life. And he was submitted to the Heavenly Father for what lay ahead in those days that were coming. How does your day start? You start with coffee? 
said, amen. Start with coffee. I don't know, like six cups, like a half a pot, like three pots of coffee. What do you start with in the morning? You know what? I'll tell you what, the older I get, the, the more coffee I drink. I'm not sure if that's good. A little jittery sometimes, you know. How does your day start? Coffee? Newspaper? Stress? You hit the ground running? Trying to figure out what's going to happen that day, get the kids to school? Trying to go to school yourself? Walk into class? Whoa, whoa. I mean, how does your day start? You're going to face a lot of stuff each day, aren't you? I'll tell you what, every day seems to hold something that we sort of know about and sort of don't. Some things we know are going to happen. You're going to get up, you're going to do this, whatever. And other things you say, well, I never saw that coming. I really believe that Jesus sets the example for us, and he started his day with prayer. I'm not going to give you a formula. I'm not going to tell you that you have to get up at this particular time and spend this amount of time in prayer. But I will tell you this, that your coffee and your newspaper and your day planner and all that stuff cannot prepare you for what's coming. Only time spent with the Lord can give you what you need, the resources, the inexhaustible resources you need to face each day. And I say that both on the the power of Scripture and from personal experience, because trust me, I've tried coffee, and I always need another cup. Always. But when you begin your day with prayer, you begin on the foundation that the Lord has provided for us to have the inexhaustible resources that we need. And as your life goes on, it becomes more and more imperative to begin each day with the kind of prayer that Jesus prayed and then to continue that throughout the day. As your responsibility increases, as your schedule gets more and more crowded, Certainly that's the case. Those of you that are college students this morning, you've never been busier in your entire life. Am I correct? You're about to start school again. You would say, listen, I've never had more things that are going on than right now. And and that's true. That's exactly true. And it doesn't stop. Um, In fact, uh, it just increases. And everybody else said amen. It just keeps increasing. Doesn't matter how long you live, it just keeps increasing. And so as that continues... We've got to go back to beginning our day, being where God wants us to be, having His attitude. And it's not about a matter of time, and amount of time. It's simply doing what Jesus did. That's to begin the day in prayer. Let me show you a second episode in the life of Jesus. In Luke, again, chapter 6. Just look over a page or turn the page. Verse 12. During those days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. When daylight came, he summoned his disciples and he chose 12 of them. And then the the scripture goes on to list those 12. Jesus here spends all night on the mountain in prayer. And afterward, he chooses the 12 that would follow him around and would be his inner circle, so to speak, for his three years of ministry here on earth. This was a decision that was absolutely huge. And Jesus treated it like it was huge. He, he prayed for wisdom, I'm sure. I can picture his prayer during this time being very specific. As he goes through all the people that were potential disciple candidates, those who he would include in his inner circle. This doesn't mean necessarily that anybody else is going to be shunned and they can't be around him, but, but he's going to pick these 12 guys that he's going to walk through life with. You can picture him talking with God and naming them and saying, well, what about this guy? You know, that, Peter, he's a little impulsive. He tends to stick his foot in his mouth. You sort of hear God kind of talking back and forth with Jesus. Prayers for wisdom. 
very specific prayers. A decision that was so huge took all night for Jesus to make. But when he emerged, when he came out of that prayer, he had his decision, he had those 12 names, and he didn't look back. He was confident that he was in the will of the Father based upon the time that he spent in prayer. How do you make decisions? What's your process? Young people, regarding your relationships, those that you will date or potentially marry, what, what's your process for making that kind of decision? You just figure, well, they kind of like me, I kind of like them, and they make me feel good, and I guess that's probably good enough. Unfortunately, that's true in a lot of cases. And as softly as I can put it, that's about as foolish as you can be. How do you make those decisions? Do you spend any time in prayer about those? What about regarding the choice of a school if you're in high school or, or your major if you're in college? Do you spend any time praying and saying, Lord, where would you like me to be? God, what would you want me to do? How should my life be directed and leveraged for your glory based upon where I go to school and what I study while I'm there? How do you make decisions about what you'll spend your money on? Are you, are you an impulse buyer? <laughs> or do you, do you step back and say, Lord, here's the opportunity. Here's the money we have or don't have. <laughs> what do you want us to do? How do you make decisions based upon which job you'll pursue or you'll decline? How do you make those decisions? How do you, how do you make decisions regarding the activities that you'll participate in, the ones that you'll turn down? How do you make decisions based upon what you will and will not allow for your children? Do you just trust a, a gut instinct or do you spend devoted time in prayer gaining the wisdom and being specific with the Lord to get His insights? Is it an eeny, meeny, miny, mo kind of selection? <laughs> Is it a, a passing prayer? Uh, Lord, we're about to do this, so if you don't mind to bless it, we'd really appreciate it. This prayer is an afterthought, like, oh, I guess we should have prayed about that. Mm, that would have been good. You've been there? Listen, I say these things only because I've experienced them and I understand. I really believe that we would make better decisions and be more confident about our decisions if we prayed intense prayers like Jesus prayed before He chose these disciples. I really, really believe that. Another episode, Matthew chapter 14. Matthew 14, look at verse 22. This was a story actually we looked at a few weeks ago. But I want to come back to the beginning of this story because it highlights what we're looking at this morning. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After dismissing the crowds, verse 23, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. In verse 13 of this chapter, Jesus hears about the death of John the Baptist, his cousin, the forerunner for his ministry, someone whom he loved very deeply. And he tried to get away at that point, but the crowds followed him. And so he began to teach the crowds. In the midst of this emotional distress, Jesus teaches these people and performs the miracle of feeding the 5,000. Understand that context. Jesus is dealing with this incredible emotional baggage at this point. Because though he is fully God, he is fully human. Experiencing the full range of emotions that we deal with. 
And finally he gets to the end of the day and he sends them away and he goes to, to the mountain to pray. He'd faced that heartbreaking news, the loss of a friend, these needy people that were pulling at him. He had performed a miracle. He had spent the whole day in preaching. He had very little help from his disciples who were generally clueless about what he was doing. And he's facing rising popularity and rising pressure. The ups and downs of all that can happen in just one day. And I wonder what he prayed at the end of a day like that. I can picture Jesus up on the mountain there and just going over with God. <laughs> what all happened? Wow. Heavenly Father. What about that? <laughs> what about John the Baptist? Wow. What about those people who interrupted me? Well, I was trying to grieve a little bit. I'm just trying to deal with life. And What about the disciples who just failed to get it? Picture him going over the issues, the emotions of the day, and, and as a result, receiving strength, comfort, and renewal as he pours his heart out to his Heavenly Father. You picture your typical day just for a second. I don't care what stage of life you're in, you're going to have ups and downs in your day. It doesn't matter if you're old, young, in between. It doesn't matter if you're working, if you're in school, if you're retired. It doesn't matter if you have family living here or lots of family living here. It doesn't make any difference where they live and where they are, you're going to have ups and downs in your day. Everybody deals with it because we're all human. How do, you, how do you deal with the ups and downs of your day? How do you unwind after a day like that? When you face just a variety of things, good things, bad things, how do you unwind? At the end of that day, does prayer enter your mind? This is how Jesus did his unwinding. This is how he calmed down at the end of the day. The truth is that we cannot receive true rest and true renewal from vegging out in front of the TV. I've tried it. It's like coffee in the morning. You just got to watch another rerun of whatever infomercial is on. You memorize it by the time it's over, you know? You cannot receive true rest and true renewal simply from recreation, even going on vacation. I just returned from Disney World. Six days at the parks with four children. I'm tired. It was hot. Rest and renewal. Fun, yes, but rest and renewal, I'm not so sure. Can't really receive true rest and true renewal no matter what you try to do for recreation. You can't receive it from stuffing the issues and the emotions of, of that particular day deep down inside of you and just pretending they don't exist. You you can't, you can't receive what you need at the end of a day like that by blowing off steam at a bar, at a party, or with a few drinks at home, or whatever it may be. You can't receive what you truly need through anything but time spent with your Heavenly Father in prayer. That's it. That's it. And if you've tried those other things, and if you're honest, you would admit, yes, that's true. True rest and true renewal after a day that's filled with ups and downs only comes in the presence and through the filling of God's Holy Spirit. That's it. I wish that I could tell you that all those other things sort of add to it and help you. They don't. They don't. And I praise God that there's only one thing and one thing alone. And that's the presence of His Holy Spirit working in and through you. And so we are wise to to seek out His presence and His refilling at the end of every day, going over with Him in prayer what we faced. 
and the ups and downs that we went through, letting His Spirit strengthen and comfort and renew us. What if we ended our days like that? Let me show you a fourth and final episode, and we'll close. Matthew chapter 26. Verse 36, we begin to read about the most intense prayer found in the Scripture. Matthew 26, 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and He told the disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, He began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then He said to them, My soul is swallowed up in sorrows to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little further, He fell face down and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass for me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He asked Peter, so you couldn't stay awake with me for one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came again and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. After leaving them, he went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the time is near. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let's go. See, my betrayer is near. Jesus here had three guys with him, but he's obviously very alone. Facing what none of us really can imagine. None of us will ever endure what Jesus endured. He was to be physically crucified. He was to spiritually become sin for us, to take on the sin of the world. He was to be forsaken by His heavenly Father as He hung on the cross, all in, in a matter of a few hours. And He knew it. He knew what, what He was about to face. And it says He's sorrowful. He's, he's deeply distressed. And so He prays. He says, Lord, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to be forsaken. <laughs> he, had en- he had enjoyed eternal community with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He didn't want to be forsaken. But he says, in submission, not as I will, but as you will. I'll give my life for the sin of the world. I'll endure the cross. I'll be forsaken if it's your will. And I love the part at the end of this little passage. When it becomes obvious what the will of God is going to be, Jesus stops praying for the cup to pass. He submits. And he says, get up. Let's go. It's time to do the will of God. No matter how difficult, no matter how lonely, no matter how painful, when Jesus got up from his prayer and realized that the will of God was for him to go through all that stuff, and yes, it was confirmed, he simply said, get up. Let's go. And he got busy doing the will of God, even though it was hard, even though it was lonely, and even though it was painful. Now, oftentimes we pray for God's will to be done, but do we submit to it like Jesus did? In our prayers, do we say, Lord, your will be done, as long as it sort of is okay with me and all my family. It really would be nice if you would. Aren't those the prayers we pray sometimes? My goodness. He says, here's my request. <laughs> really rather not go through all that. But not as I will, but as you will. And at the end of that time, it becomes obvious, and he gets up and says, let's go. Can we face hard times like he did? 
you may be staring at a situation and you say, you know what, I, it appears that this may be the will of God for my life and it's going to be difficult and it's going to be lonely, it's going to be painful. And I have prayed that, that we could avoid this. I have prayed that the Lord would do something different, but, it, but it's become obvious to me that I must walk this path. Can you submit to God's will like Jesus did? The only way that you can is not by being tough and enduring it, by submitting yourself to the Heavenly Father through consistent and intense prayer. That's it. There is no other way to endure those hard times. What are you facing that seems impossible right now? What are you going through in your life that you'd rather change or avoid? I praise God that we are given the privilege of praying about those things but we must be willing to submit to God's will, even if it's difficult, even if it's lonely, even if it's painful. So what's our takeaway today? Those last two blanks on your bulletin you've been dying to complete. Here they are. Pray early and pray often. And before you close up your bulletin and wrap it all up because you filled in the final blanks, let me finish. Pray early and pray often. There's an old adage in baseball that says score early and score often. That's how you win. You get on the board early and you keep on going. And you put up as many crooked numbers as you can along the way. You, you, you score early and you score often. I really believe that the example of Jesus shows us we are to pray early. Begin the day that way. Continue in prayer that way throughout the day. And then wrap the day up in prayer. Pray early. Pray often. Pray as Jesus prayed. Those centering prayers in the morning. Lord, I'm going to face a lot of junk today. <laughs> and God, I want your strength. Holy Spirit, you fill me up today. I really would. I encourage you to use those words. Pray those prayers. Pray early. Pray for wisdom. For what you're going to face. For the people who are going to need you. For the surroundings that you're going to be in. For the things that you'll encounter. And pray often. Pray about every situation that arises. Pray in the moment for it. Pray at specific times. Schedule your day around opportunities that you can take to get alone with God and just pray. And say, Lord, here it is. This is what I'm dealing with. I guarantee you that if you'll do that, if you'll, if you'll take maybe even just the next seven days, and you'll begin in prayer, and you'll continue in prayer, and you'll end in prayer each of those seven days. Just try it for a week. And I guarantee you that you'll be planting the seeds to become the person that God wants you to be. You may not see all the fruit in a week, but you'll plant those seeds and you'll begin to see them cultivated. You'll begin to, to lay the foundation for making better decisions and being more confident in the decisions that you do make that you're in the will of God. This is not about guaranteeing some response from God, but it's about aligning ourselves with God's will. And that can only happen through our time spent in prayer. Now there is one prayer that has a guaranteed response from God, and that is the prayer of repentance and faith from a person who does not know Jesus Christ. God guarantees at that point that you will be born again when you repent of your sin and call out in faith to Jesus Christ for salvation. God guarantees that you will be born again and given eternal life in heaven and have His Spirit implanted inside of you to grow you and produce the kind of life that He has designed you to live. I want to close our time this morning 
by simply leading us in prayer. And then we'll have a song as we wrap things up. So I'd like for you just for a second, bow your head. And if it helps you, close your eyes to focus in on what the Lord is teaching us. And I want us this morning to leave having made prayer a priority and giving priority to the right things in our prayers. Convinced that in every church service, there are people who need to pray a prayer of surrender for the very first time to come face to face with the fact that you and I are sinners, born that way, and that we need to be born again. Receiving the grace of God that we did not deserve, could never earn, can never repay the death of Jesus Christ and His resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins and for eternal life. And we need to pray, some of us this morning, a prayer of surrender. Lord Jesus, I repent and I turn from my sin and I call out to you for salvation. And I surrender my life to you. No strings attached. No holding back at all. I surrender it all to you. And I want your salvation and I place my faith in you. Maybe that's the prayer you need to pray. Don't leave here this morning without praying that prayer and And in a few moments, let me know. Come and let me know. You know what? I've surrendered my life to Jesus Christ this morning. Would you help me to know what I should do next? Some of us this morning need to pray a prayer of submission. Lord, not my will, but yours. I don't know what you face. but Maybe your prayer needs to be one of submission this morning. Would you pray that? Not my will, Lord, but yours. Some need to pray for our surroundings our family, our work, our school, the issues that we're facing, whatever they may be, just praying for our surroundings. And you lift those things up to the Lord and you pour out your heart to Him. For some this morning you have on your heart the salvation of others. And you're praying for family members and friends and classmates. Maybe you need to pray for the sanctification, the growth of yourself and of others. Lord, teach us to pray. May we be submissive. May we seek your presence and your wisdom. May we follow your example. Lord, challenge us over the next several days and weeks to make prayer a priority in our lives, to pray early and to pray often. Thank you for the privilege of having a conversation with you. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. We'll close.